0: I would like to welcome you again to First Missionary Church and I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of our moms here and if you're a mom would you just stand for a moment we'd like to acknowledge you if you're able to please stand don't be shy look around for a second and see all of our moms here and would you join me in expressing appreciation to our mothers. You can be seated. (laughs) And then, just like the video said, today can be an emotional day for various reasons. Maybe you lost your mom. uh, Maybe you never had a good relationship with your mom or knew your mom. Maybe you were never able to become a mom for whatever reason. So I want to take some time to pray for you as well. So would you join me, and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our moms who are here. Thank you, Lord, uh, just for the role they have in our life, just as Lloyd Saracen was saying, the role of a mother is incredible. Lord, you've set it up that way that moms and dads, Lord, would instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. So I thank you for uh, these moms here who are making an impact and a difference. And I pray that you would keep encouraging them, Lord. Give them wisdom to know how to keep parenting. Even if their children are grown, I pray that they would keep being an influence to their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Father. Lord, may they continually talk about the Lord. May, may their kids and their family know that they are all about Jesus, we pray. And Lord, I also pray for those who are hurting. Lord, for those who are grieving. Just as the video talked about, there's various reasons. Father, be the God of all comfort to those today, to these women today that need it, to these families today that need it, Lord. Show them that you care tremendously. And Lord, I also pray, too, that our congregation would be filled with with spiritual moms for many people as well, that, that, Lord, that we would be connected even tighter than last name or Uh, physical blood, but by the blood of Christ, that that our congregation would have spiritual moms and dads and kids and grandkids, Lord, that we would be so connected as a family of God, taking care of one another. Father, we pray. And Lord, may it all be to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians. Book of Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. So we just finished Jonah in the Old Testament. And now we're going to the New Testament. And special thanks to Sue Inniger last week and the great job she did in her video testimony. I would encourage you to get a copy of that. So, Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. And Paul is writing to a group of churches that he helped start. How cool is that? He is writing to a group of churches that he started. And if you want to read about that background, check out Acts chapters 13 and 14. I'm just going to read these first 10 verses. And I want you to pay special attention, because I'm going to ask you, what is the mood of the text? What is the tone that Paul has? So if you're able to, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to read the first 10 verses. Paul is writing to these churches in Galatia. So it says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion And are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under what? What's it say? God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So did you catch it? What is the emotional tone of his letter thus far? What would you say? You can participate. What's a word you would use to describe it? What is it? Sad, yes, that's a good way to describe it. What else? What is the emotional mood or tone that Paul has for these people? I can see you better this way, including you balcony people. (laughs) Somebody said in the first service, somber, concerning, serious, I would add intense. I mean, of all the letters Paul writes, for the most part, he usually gives thanks for the people he's writing to, but did he actually give thanks to the people in Galatia for them? No. He says, I'm astonished in verse six that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. He's astonished because they are abandoning and deserting the gospel. So what is the gospel? Some of you know this well, some of you may not. The gospel simply means, let's say it together, good news. Gospel means good news, not good advice. Gospel is something that's been done, not something you do. And it specifically... It's about what God has done, not us, but what God has done by Christ's life, death, and resurrection to save sinners like us to a holy God through faith. So God has done it through Christ to save us, sinners that we are, to a holy and righteous and perfect God, not through works, but through faith. And here's what the problem was in Galatia. There were false teachers coming in And they were telling Christians there that among these churches, Paul started that, yes, yes, you believe in Christ. Yes, you have to believe that Christ died for your sins. Yes, that's true. But you also, in addition to it, have to follow the law of Moses. You have to get circumcised, which may seem weird to us today, but that was part of the covenant with Abraham back in the Old Testament. You have to follow the food laws. Yes, you believe in Christ, but you also have to do this. I would call that Jesus Plus, theology, Jesus plus something else. And did you catch what Paul says about that kind of theology? He's extremely concerned. He says it's no gospel at all. Let me give you some uh, some reasons really why this is so concerning, why it's so dangerous to add to the gospel. So the first one, the danger of adding to the gospel. If you add to the gospel and add rules to the gospel, like they were uh, proposing. You actually, number one, desert Christ. Paul says in verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. So if you add to the gospel, you desert whom? Christ. You you miss out and you lose God by adding to this good news of what God has done. Secondly, you not only desert Christ, but if you add to the gospel, you actually have no gospel at all, Paul says. No good news at all. So at the end of verse 6 there below, it says, you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I mean, this is concerning. It's like a complicated math problem. If you add to the gospel, you actually subtract from the gospel, and thus you lose the gospel. Are you with me? If you add to the gospel, add rules or anything else to the gospel, to the finished work of Christ, you actually subtract from it, and you actually lose it and miss out on it all together. It's like a vacuum. A vacuum is 100% without air, correct? Can you have a 90% vacuum? (laughs) Can you introduce a little bit of air? Oh, it's still a vacuum, mostly, so no. Just like the gospel. If you add a little bit to it and say, well, yeah, Jesus' work is enough, but I'm going to add this, this, and this. No, you can't do that, Paul says. You are introducing a different gospel. And that leads to the third point. If you add to the gospel, you are actually under what? What did we say? God's curse. You are condemned eternally by God. So if you believe that kind of gospel, that kind of gospel where you add to it and have to obey to please God, that kind of gospel doesn't save, Paul says. And if you actually teach that kind of gospel to others and say, yes, believe in Jesus, but do something else too to be saved, you are also Under God's curse, he says. So what is the tone of Paul's letter right now? He's serious. He's like, all hands on deck, sound the alarm bell. I am astonished that you would desert Christ and his gospel. Why on earth would you do that? You know, in some ways, we can't blame them. These teachers were coming in and saying, you know, you got to believe in Christ, but you got to follow the Old Testament law too. In some ways, it's like, I think they were still figuring it out, what the grace of Christ meant. But we today should know better. I mean, do we church, do we ever as Christians today, do we ever add to the gospel? Do we ever say, well, yes, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you better do this too just to make sure you're saved. Do we, do we do that kind of stuff? I think we do. Let me talk about how to avoid this. How do we avoid actually adding to the gospel and thus subtracting from it and thus losing it? Number one, we have to know the gospel well. We have to know what this good news is so well. Paul actually lays out in the first five verses what it is. You know, sometimes you'll read a New Testament letter of Paul and you kind of just skim through the first few verses, but these are very important verses. So he says these parts are part of the gospel. First of all, he talks about our condition. Our condition without Christ is that we are sinners because Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So do you hear what Paul is saying? God is rescuing us from the evil age and the evil sin around us, but he's also rescuing us from the sins inside of us. That there is a problem outside of us for sure, but it's also inside of us in our hearts that we don't want to follow God, that we rebel against God, that we want to do what we want to do. I mean, parents that just dedicated your child, you know that your child, about the age of one, and especially at the age of two, they do what they want to (laughs) do. And that's just like us. God has put himself over authority over us, and we often do what we want to do, and that's sin. So that's our condition. And Paul says it's so desperate that we need, what's that R word there? We need rescued. You know, if somebody is drowning in the middle of the ocean and I'm going to rescue them, do I throw them a manual on how to swim? What do you do? You help them. And they don't get the credit for being saved. The person that saves them gets the credit. Well, that's our situation. Without Christ, we are so lost in our sins, in our own ways, in our own thinking. We need rescued. Which takes me to the next part of the gospel. It's not only our condition, that's the bad news, but it's the good news of what Jesus has done So Jesus' work to save us in verse 4. It says there in verse 4 that Jesus gave himself for our sins. And this is incredible because Jesus didn't just die in a general way. He wasn't just dying and saying, you know, look at my example and do the same. No, he was dying for you and me, sinners that we are, that we don't deserve it. And he's doing what theologians call a substitutionary atonement. Say that with me substitutionary atonement. You can try to spell it if you want. I'm not going to give it to you. But what that means is, how are we at one or atoned with a holy God? Well, it's substitution. It's Jesus substituting and sacrificing his life for us. And then it's not just that, but we also see what God the Father has done. In verse one, right at the end, it talks about that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. This proves that, sin is defeated, that death is conquered, that hell does not have to be an option for us, but that God raised him from the dead, proving all those things are conquered. And then the last part of the gospel, I mean, there's more, but the last one I'm going to mention is that God's purpose in all of this is that he would get the glory. So it says in verses four and five, that all of this is according to the will of our God and father. And read this with me out loud, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. So, the gospel, when it's all about God and not any, adding anything else, God gets all the glory because He has done it. He's accomplished it. He initiated it. He's going to finish it someday in our life. And He will get all the credit for rescuing us. We can't say, Well, I helped. I swam to God. No, it's all Him. He rescued us. So, the first step in all of this is to know the gospel well. And I have a resource in the book, Nook. The Book Nook, what a great name. Here's a resource called A Gospel Primary. You may have seen me talk about this before. If you haven't got this yet, this is one of those ways that you know the gospel well, that you work it from your head down into your heart. So I would encourage you to get a copy of that. It's a book that's meant to be read slowly. Let's go to the second way. How do we avoid adding to the gospel? We have to be aware of ways that we add to the gospel. We have to think of examples on how we add to the finished work of Christ and thus subtract from the gospel and thus lose it. You know, I wish we had time where we could brainstorm some ways that you have seen or that we as Christians in modern day era add to the gospel. But let me give you a few. That would be a good small group exercise or a Sunday school class for you to camp on. One way that we add to the gospel is what I call the gospel of rules. Just like the Galatians did, they were adding rules to what Christ has done. Do we as churches ever add rules to the gospel? Saying, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you better make sure you do this, this, and that. Do we ever do that? Yes, we do, of course. In fact, you may have been a part of churches like that that get really strict and tell you how to dress or not how to dress. Or they may tell you what to buy or what not to buy. Or even they get so controlling that they tell you exactly how to spend your free time. Hopefully, we never get that way if we do confront us. But that's the gospel of rules saying that, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you have to add this rule to really be saved. Another example is what we call the prosperity gospel. Ever heard of that? Or the health and wealth gospel? This kind of gospel teaches that that you as a child of God have a divine right, a divine expectation to be healthy and happy and and wealthy, and have straight teeth, and have a spot by the beach. Whatever you want to say, you can name it and claim it, so to speak. And if you just have enough faith, God will give it to you. It's almost like you can arm twist God and just pray and and kind of work yourself up into a faith frenzy just to say, God, I believe this. You're going to do it. And that's dangerous. In fact, one theologian, he said, it's almost like you treat God as a business partner in this, that if you do this or have enough faith in this way, he has to do His part of the bargain. But it doesn't work that way. Because if you actually believe this, then we have a very shallow view of suffering. I mean, Jesus was the most perfect being ever, and he suffered tremendously. He had all the faith in the world, and he still suffered. Here's another way we add to the gospel is what I call the gospel of feelings. So yes, you need to believe in the gospel, but you also have to feel a certain way. And this could take so many different ways You have to feel that you're saved. And if you're not feeling that way, then maybe you're not saved. But instead of resting in the finished work of Christ, you're resting in your feelings. Or sometimes I see a lot from Christians too that that instead of following the gospel, we follow what we feel ought to be right in that moment. And that's dangerous. That is adding to the gospel. Here's another way. I have a bunch of examples. So hang on. The gospel of tolerance. This is preached in our culture that That really, you know, let's just be tolerant and love everyone. You know, we're all kind of good people at the core. We're all kind of going to the same place. So as long as you tolerate people and are open-minded, then you're doing well. This is not the gospel either. In fact, ironically, it's very intolerant. Because you're saying to be saved, you have to be tolerant. You're saying you have to work for your salvation. And you're also being very exclusive. Because what do we do with all the intolerant people? Do they have a chance to be saved or not? Well, the real gospel, what God has done is for tolerant and intolerant people because both are sinners without Christ. Let's go to the next one. It's kind of depressing, isn't it, to focus on all these gospels, isn't it? But there's a real gospel that's way better. The fifth one is the gospel of minor things. I didn't know what to call this category, so I kind of lumped a bunch of things in here. You know, sometimes we as Christians, we have certain expectations for how a worship service should go, or how a church should go or do. And those are good. Those can be really good and healthy. But sometimes those become the focus rather than Jesus and the gospel. Or certain doctrines. I love doctrine. I love reading. I love theology. But a lot of secondary doctrines become major things to Christians. So for instance, how many of you believe that Jesus is going to return someday? Just show of hands. That's a primary doctrine, but how he's going to come back, let me tell you, is secondary, I think. I have read so many books on how it's all going to work out, and guess what? None of them are right yet. <laughs> That's secondary. And there's other pet theological doctrines that some of us have that are secondary, that aren't the major thing. Let me give you one more example. I call it the gospel of ministry. So instead of Jesus and what he's done being the focus Our ministry can take the place of it. So for instance, if we have a certain program that we love or a certain course that really impacted us and we may want the church or some ministry to do, if that becomes the focus rather than Jesus, we are in danger of this, of adding to the gospel. Or I see this a lot with spiritual gifts and passions. Sometimes, I mean, all of us have different passions. All of us are wired differently. You know, some of us are passionate about evangelism or discipleship or worship music, whatever it is. But you know what we do as Christians? We often judge people through our gift. So if I am passionate about evangelism and I look out and I see my brother is not nearly as passionate about it, what am I gonna think of my brother? I can't believe that guy, oh. I start judging him, not based on the gospel, but on if he's doing enough evangelism or not. Isn't that crazy? And yes, we should spur each other on, but if we're not careful, how we view people through our gifts in passions, even in ministry. We start judging them based on a gospel of works, which is really no gospel, rather than the gospel of what God has done through Christ. You know, I came from a church plant in Lima, Ohio, and what was so cool about it the first couple years, I mean, it, we were like doing so much evangelism, so much outreach. It was great. But you know what the danger of that was? And it's hard for me to admit this. In some ways, we burn ourselves out doing it. In some ways, I think if we're honest, evangelism became the focus of our church rather than Christ. Now, I would love it if more churches had more evangelism. I mean, I would love that. But if that becomes the thing we're known for rather than Christ, it becomes a new kind of legalism and works. But if Christ is the center and what he has done, we will go out, we will evangelize, we will do the hard work. We will reach out to a lost and broken world. We will serve the poor and needy. You know, the only thing that can bear that burden in our church is the gospel. The only thing that can be the main thing in our church that we'll never get tired of talking about, that we'll never get frustrated with, that won't burn us out, is the gospel. When that is in place, everything else seems to click in place as a church. What are other ways that we add to the gospel? I don't have time to talk about those, but I would encourage you in your small group or in your Sunday school class, in your family today at lunch, to talk about it let me talk about two more ways. I know we're running out of time. How else do we avoid adding to the gospel? We said knowing it well, being aware of ways that we add to it. Another way to avoid adding to it is to focus on God's word for understanding the gospel. Because Paul says, even if an angel comes to you, and I would would say the same thing, if an angel shows up to you and says, this is the gospel, what does Paul say? Don't believe him. By the way, if you have that kind of encounter, come talk to me. I'd love to talk. That'd be really interesting to talk to you about. But if, even if an angel comes, don't believe him, Paul says. Paul even says, if I come back and tell you no, I was wrong, this is the gospel. It's like, don't believe me. We need to focus on God's word for understanding the gospel. And I would add in 2019, don't believe everything you hear on YouTube or watch on YouTube about a preacher. <laughs> Number four, the last one, be concerned. Don't be afraid to confront over gospel issues. And we tend to have one extreme or the other. Sometimes people are not afraid to confront over anything. I'm not talking about that. Confront over gospel issues, not secondary. But then some of us are afraid of any confrontation. We avoid it at all costs. Well, you need to be concerned and be willing to confront. Paul's concerned over what are gospel issues. I have two more things I want to say that aren't on screen but today is Mother's Day, right? That's the first thing I'll talk about. And this is related to this. I heard one of, my, one of my mentors say that if you assume the gospel, the next generation loses the gospel. So if you as parents, if we as a church, if the gospel is kind of fuzzy and hazy and we sort of talk about it, sort of delight in it, then the next generation, they're going to lose it. Because it's not primary, it's not important. What God has done through Christ is not central. But if we talk about it, if we worship God for it, if we think about it in a rich way like this, like this book, this devotional book is talking about, if we apply it to how we spend our money, how we use our sexuality, how we think about these things in our relationships, boy, then our kids, the next generation is going to know it. And so, moms, a bunch of you stood earlier. How can you be intentional To not assume the gospel in your family, but to talk about it, to delight in it. Because remember, Paul is writing this not to unsaved people. He's writing this to believers. Believers need the gospel just as much as non-believers. So how can you as a mom, as a parent, as a leader, be intentional about talking about Christ? Even today in your Mother's Day gatherings, how can you talk about Christ? And then the last thing I want to say I mentioned earlier that if we add to the gospel, we subtract from it and we lose it. Adding to the gospel equals subtracting from the gospel, which equals losing the gospel. We lose Christ, it's no gospel, and it doesn't save. Why is it such a big deal to add to the gospel? Why? I was thinking about this all week. Why? Why does it matter, Paul? It's not like they're telling, it's not like these false teachers are coming in and say, be horrible people, be murderers. It's not saying anything like that. They're just saying, follow the rules. Why is that so dangerous? And here's my answer. When we add to what God has done through Christ, we actually take away from what Christ has done. When we add to what God has done through Christ, and you have to believe it, yes, but you got to do this, then we're telling God that what he has done through Christ is not enough that his blood wasn't enough to atone for sins, that the nails that went through his hands wasn't enough, that what he experienced on our behalf when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we're telling people or believing that you have to work for it, we're telling that Jesus' work was not enough. And we're actually taking away from the glory of God Because the gospel is the good news of what God has done from first to last. He chose us to be saved. He accomplished it through Christ. He applied it through the Holy Spirit. And one day he's going to finish what he started when he returns or we go to meet with him. But from first to last, the gospel is all about what God has done. We don't get any glory or credit for any of it. And when we add to it, we are defaming God. This is why it's a big deal. To add to the gospel. So as you think about your life, your family, your class, your work, are you adding to the gospel? Or are you keeping a laser-like focus on Jesus? Let's pray. And i invite the worship team forward to. Father, I pray that we would feel the seriousness of this text. Lord, help us not to assume the gospel. Help us not to get over the gospel and think there's better things than the gospel. Help us to realize we have been given so much through Christ and the cross. Lord, I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit right now to make us aware of how we are abandoning or adding to the gospel or deserting it in our lives. Help us to realize that it's not just for non-believers, but it's for believers. It's, it's not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life, Father. And Father, I pray, especially for moms today, I pray that they would leave a gospel legacy, that even today, our moms would be talking about and cherishing Christ, be praying for their family, or leaving an impact for generations. And Father, may our church, First Missionary Church, be all about the gospel. We dedicate these things to you in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me?